Good morning, everybody, and welcome to episode 131 of the Quickie Podcast, part one of episode 131. I'm your host, Dave Hopkins, and I had such a great interview with this next guest, and they had such great advice and stories to share from their experience. We soared past the 30-minute limit of the Quickie Podcast, but you know what? Instead of just chopping it down and taking away some of the content, I want to split it up into two. So, my guest. Today, my guest is Taylor Cashton. He's the principal designer at Fidelity Investments. He's also the co-founder of the Black Soul Club with Tara Victoria from episode 105. He is also big in the AIGA chapter of his local area, and he has the title of the Director of Uniting People with his AIGA chapter. That is such a cool title. Taylor has also dabbled in public speaking this last year, sharing uh, his story and what he's learned from his experience. And uh, he's actually got some dates on the calendar already for next year. During this interview, we, of course, talk about his love for black coffee, which is where the whole Black Soul Club came from. We talk about how his mom was a fashion designer and then later owned a pottery story and just sort of being brought up around creativity and being brought up with creativity in his life. We talk about the school newspaper that uh, really got his feet wet into the joy of design. Taylor also lets us know that being told no throughout his life has sort of always been a catalyst for, you know, almost taking it on as a challenge, not in a negative way, but not really the, oh yeah, I'll show you what I can do, but more of like the, hmm, I think I got to look into this further. And, you know, it almost lights a little fire inside him to pursue it more. We also talk about the moment that his life and his education career path changed by a scholarship that he passed on that was given to him or offered to him, I should say, to become a teacher. That and so much more in part one of this episode. Ladies and gentlemen, let's get to it. My guest, Taylor Cashton. Here we go. Welcome to the Quickie Podcast, the daily interview show where we talk to graphic designers about their journey to the creative field, and we do it in 30 minutes or less. So, are you ready for a Quickie? Good morning, Taylor. How are you? Morning. I'm doing well. How about yourself? Doing great. Thanks so much for being a guest on the show today. Absolutely. I'm stoked to uh, be part of this. You ready for a quickie, sir? I am. Pitter patter. Let's get at her. Briefly tell the listeners about yourself. Uh, my name is Taylor Cashtan. I'm a graphic designer who works for Fidelity Investments as a, a UI and um, design systems designer. I also do freelance work on the side and I'm active in uh, my local design community, helping them uh, curate uh, and develop the content. And that community. Uh, so Where... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was saying, I have a I have a dog too. <laughs> Outside of the the design stuff, a little puppy named Pax. Okay, stop talking about design and tell me more about this puppy. <laughs> so Pax <laughs> is a five year old boxer shepherd who is the sassiest, most energy filled 
puppy I've ever been around. From day one, uh, he's had this ability to run like crazy and, and, and jump around and like lay down for like seven minutes and then be fully recharged. Holy cow! So it's it's a yeah it's a, it's a handful. The 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 story of me getting him is actually kind of funny. And the the abridged version is I went to his foster home uh, to like meet him the first time, mm-hmm. and this little like puppy, maybe a, a foot long, you know, and and six inches in height, kind of pitter-patters over to me, does this little thing where he cocks his head to the side, reaches forward, like nips at my beard, and runs away. And I was like, oh, that's the one. That's the one I want. <laughs> and that was, it was, uh, it was fate. It's love at first sight. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, definitely yeah. a dog person here. So that's good. Good, um, good. Okay, so Fidelity Investments, how long has that been cooking for? So I've been here since January, so not very long. Okay. Uh, and it's a, it's a very new environment for me. It's a new realm of design. Uh, traditionally, I was more, I guess, formally trained, so to speak, in, in marketing and brand. And this is more UI and design systems. So there's a lot of carryover in the way brand systems are built and the way mm-hmm. component systems are built. So that's where my my bridge of knowledge uh comes into play but it's very much explorations into like ux and the research behind the way design uh impacts components and visual style and all that stuff so it's a brand new world and i'm loving every minute of it very cool so how long have you been sort of fully financially supported by design how long have you been doing the graphic design thing for yeah, so I like to I say 8 years and I say that because I worked full time while I was a college student. Mm-hmm. Um so if you don't count that I guess 6, you know, because I started my junior year, but um I have ever since I can remember, I was always making design for money uh whether it was like making little advertisements for local newspapers or it was you know curating photos for you know people's you know photo albums or making invitations for like weddings and events and then it kind of just naturally dove into all right well how do we look at this from a more holistic perspective you know high level you know alignment of visual style and that became branding mm-hmm. um you know and that kind of stuff and, and everything in between Got it. Okay. So I definitely want to dive further back into that, but I want to start at the beginning sure. here. Um, I want you to tell us about your childhood. What was that like? Do you feel that you had a creative childhood that pointed you toward this career path? Yeah, it's funny. I, I can vividly remember. So my mom is, is a very uh, visual oriented person as well. And mm-hmm. so I could, I could vividly remember like anytime we had some kind of project or school homework thing, you know, it was always me and her, you know, up to like midnight two in the morning like putting the final touches on the thing like i i I distinctly remember there was like a diorama that we had to like build out of a shoebox that represented uh, some scene in a in a in a book and we spent like hours like getting the sequins right to make the the water look like it was you know flowing and the little figurines like to the point where there was sometimes we were just at each other's throats like no we're gonna do it this way or no we gotta do it that way or we can't (laughs) let's do tomorrow you know so it's always funny like like i imagine like when I reflect back, like that's the client stressors of today is like that project. Like it stemmed from those things. But, um, it it was a very, uh, my mom and I have a very fluid creative relationship. I mean, from the jump, she was always the type, like whenever there was like a birthday party, like it was all about the event planning. It was all about the decorations, all about the cake, the way the cake looked and the different pieces of the puzzle and how it worked together. And I, I think I took a lot of that from her. Um, and, and I was always building. It was always Legos or sketching or, or doodling around. And I guess, you know, every creative's got that. Well, I was always drawing, but it was when I realized that you can put these things together uh, to create other things. I think it really is when, you know, the design spark kind of kicked off. Very cool. Okay. So were your parents designers or were they just generally, your mom was generally creative? 
the latter. So my uh, my father was a, a sta- uh, like a recruiter basically mm-hmm. uh, for for a variety of companies, and my my mother for my childhood was a stay at home mom. But before that, she was a fashion designer. Oh, cool. Um, she went to a, a college for that or a technical school, I think. I honestly don't remember. Um, but once kind of we were all out of the house or at least a little more established, her brothers and sisters and I, uh, she started working for a pottery store and then ended up buying the pottery store. So she owned and ran a pottery store for a number of years. Um, and this was everything from like paint your own to build your own. So the full spectrum of like what you can do with clay was everything she handled. And she ran that, that business wonderfully for a handful of years. Um, and so that was where I kind of came to fruition from a, a design job perspective. Cause for the bulk mm-hmm. of my childhood, it was, you know, stay at home mom, you know, with us all the time. Got it. Okay. So, but definitely creative driven, yeah. like from brought the oh, absolutely. creative and fashion world forward and, you know, brought it to the diorama battles. Oh, for sure. I mean, we were, we were always, there was always home improvement projects or like a weird texture on a wall we were trying to achieve. Like we had this very large red wall in my childhood house where mom just came up with this idea where she was like, it needs to feel like something like it's very plain here. It's the biggest wall in the house. There's nothing on it. It's kind of in the way. So you can't hang stuff on it. So one day she just started going nuts with like plaster of Paris, making Mm -hmm. like all these edges and weird like texture and then painted it red, like vivid red. And it created all these weird shadows. So like from the jump, I mean, it was always like, what can we do with this plain space to make it more inviting? Right. And that was always kind of her attitude on, on things. And it was, it was always interesting to see how those things flushed out, like in either the diorama or in the, the reality of the space, you know, we were living in. Mm-hmm. That's so funny you say that. When people say textured walls, I think back to when my childhood home, my parents, my dad was always doing like funky, abnormal things to like renovation stuff, right? So mm-hmm. he he painted like 80% of the walls in our house. Like I don't even want to say painted. It was like this fleece <laughs> texture flock stuff. Where you basically buy it in a plastic bag and it's dry, then you mix water in it and it kind of moistens it up into all of these little like soggy cotton bits, I guess you could call it. And they had different colored fleck in them. And then you roll it on the wall, just like you would a paint, but they, these little cotton bits adhere to the wall. So you have this like, not quite a full fuzzy wall, but a really. Really, I don't know how else to describe it. It was a really weird wall. So it looks like speckle paper, kind of like uh, you ever seen um, like French paper co's speckle tone. Like it's got like those like weird flakes of things in it, but they're not. You can't feel them. You just Mm -hmm. can see that they're there. So visually, yes, but there was definitely tactile. This like you ran your hand along it, and it was yeah, it was weird. It was weird. That had to be so bizarre. <laughs> it was so bizarre. Then when they renovated and sold, getting rid of it was basically you like moisten the wall and just wipe it off. It was so weird. <laughs> Anyways, sorry about that. Just so reminded weird. me of that story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so what, great. what was the moment in that uh, childhood or in your younger years where you first started noticing design in the world where it really just clicked for you? Yeah, I, I think what's interesting, and, and it is, this kind of side answers your questions, I can tie all of my big, I guess, career-related decisions back to someone telling me I couldn't do it. Um, oh, perfect. So where this where this comes in is I vividly remember uh, in eighth grade in North Carolina, you, sometimes you can go to the, the high school that you're going to be going to the, the year after in ninth grade, mm-hmm. and you can do like – it's kind of like a career fair, but for the electives that the, the – the high school offers. So basically it's like a, you know, a bunch of booths and the teachers are there with some of the students and they're kind of showing off what they do in the course and, you know, kind of getting you excited about the school you'll be coming to soon. And I remember walking by, uh, the student newspaper, it was called the howler. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and going, this looks like so much fun. They're like writing, they're like laying out the pages, they're like making the illustrations and all this stuff. And I was like, that sounds like fun. I'd like to do that. So I was talking to the teacher and, you know, whatever. And then, you know, we got, I was like, cool. So how do I sign up? And she was like, oh, I'm sorry, we don't accept freshmen. Ooh. And which, you know, ninth grade. And I was kind of like bummed for a second. And then we kind of just started walking away. And my mom looked at me, I guess she could see the wheels turning in my head. And she goes, you're going to still try and get on that staff, aren't you? I was like, yep. And that was kind of the beginning. And I, me and, and another another girl were the first freshmen uh, ever, you know, brought onto the Howler staff in the years that it existed at the school. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was kind of the pivot point. And from there, it was like, all right, you know, we're writing, we're making art that goes with the the writing, we're laying out the page. And and my I guess joy for design started from the construction of a paragraph, right? So I, I thought for the longest time I was going to be a journalist, like, and that I would moonlight as like a page designer after that. Like that was my my path in my head. Mm-hmm. Once I realized that writing, for at least from a journalism perspective, wasn't exactly a lucrative career, um, from a traditional sense, like newspapers, not mm-hmm. blogs and all those things. Now that they exist, but from a newspaper perspective, the pay was low, the jobs were hard to get. You know, it was very non-consistent. Um, I started to lean, and it wasn't just because of that, but I started to lean into the design stuff more because mm-hmm. I could do it quicker. Right, it required less review, and quite frankly, it was it wasn't as much legwork in the sense of like you had to go out and find people to interview and and do digging. You could do that stuff kind of on your own through the work, right? Which I think was a different workflow for me, and I really enjoyed. Um, and I was fast. Uh, you know, I learned programs very quickly. I was able to dig around and get through and templatize from the jump. Like in retrospect, looking at it now, like I was very efficient in creating reusable parts. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas some of my classmates were kind of like focused on the thing at hand, right? Which is which is fine. But I, I think in my head, I was thinking more systematically. And from there, like newspaper kind of trickled this first start of like you can do this, right? And then when I got to college. Um, my initial, my first year, you know, first of all, I, I graduated as a as an education major, but I changed majors eight times while I was at NC State University. Um, originally going as an English major, you know, hence the journalism route. And when I got to college, I, you know, looking for my home base, I went right to the newspaper staff. You know, they had a, nice. a student newspaper as well. There was a daily newspaper, so I started there as a page designer, and then went up to. Uh, page or design editor, then copy desk editor, then managing editor. So I kind of moved up my ranks there, but the, it was all rooted in that like design for journalism, right? Mm-hmm. Creating pieces of a puzzle and bringing a story together. So it was all about that storytelling, that systematic approach, because it was always so many parts to a newspaper, right? There's like the imagery, there's the illustrations, there's the story itself, there's where it falls on the page, there's how the page is designed. And the designer was always tasked with, all right, you know, we've got this really impactful story, but no one's going to read it unless we put it together in a way that makes people want to read it, right? Which is using imagery and using, you know, pull quotes and all this stuff. Like the writing could be the best in the world, but if the designer does a bad job of, you know, coordinating it, then mm-hmm. no one's going to look, right? And I always mm-hmm. like that responsibility. Like, how can I get people to look here? Very cool. So you mentioned yeah. that you had changed majors eight times. Were you just basically on a, you know, a quest trying to find that that creative outlet that really ticked all the boxes for you? Well, uh, it could be. Uh, I was getting my kind of design fix through the newspaper as well as mm-hmm. some freelance stuff. And I did a little bit of work for HBO uh, while I was in college, uh, which is a fantastic job, by the way, um, a contract job. And so I was getting my design fix. And I was I was trying to figure out from a formal education standpoint, like, what did I need 
to get to where I wanted to go. And I wasn't, I think, 100% sure where I wanted to go. Like, I did the teaching thing for a while. Uh, you know, I, I was a, a candidate for a scholarship that was exclusively for teaching. And I, I ended up um, feeling bad and turning it down because uh, it was a, kind of a limited thing. And they would they had a, a long list of people who applied. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, when it came time for acceptance, they were like, cool, so we're so excited for you to be a teacher. And I was like, to be honest, like, I, I'm not 100% sure I want to teach which to me was like i can't steal away someone who lets like from from the jump like wanted to be a teacher always lived to be a teacher mm-hmm. you know I, I felt bad like taking away their chance by taking this spot in a scholarship that was designed to help you become a teacher Got when it. i wasn't 100 sure so i i forego that and that's kind of when the all these shifts began to happen because i was like well if i'm not going to do this for sure i need to find a way to either satisfy that I want to help people and help people learn kind of thing with also the creative side. So basically I went through, um, started as an English, then I went English literature, I think. Then I went uh, into the communication department for marketing, then communication PR. Uh, then I tried engineering for a stint because we were making things, right? We're, mm-hmm. we're creating 3D models and all that kind of stuff. Um, which the math just blew my brain. Uh, and, and after a few micro changes in between, I ended up in, in a major that was called technology design engineering education um, with a focus in graphic communication. So basically what, to, to put it in you know the Reader's Digest version, it was creating uh, elective teachers, right? So the shop class and your you know web 101 and that kind of thing. It was, it was training those teachers. Mm-hmm. But the beauty of that major is you got all the education of how to teach people, but you also got all the education of how to do the thing, right? And then when your junior year or senior year came around, you had the option to either do student teaching where you went in and co-taught with another teacher in the area, mm-hmm. or you could take an internship and use that to validate you know the professional expertise. Oh, cool. So basically, I got all this ed- I got all this learning about how to talk to people, how to train people, how to read people, right? All the education portion. And then I was able to go to an internship from the jump, like, and be able to get paid an internship and get course credit, right? So it was like, it was the best situation ever. And that's when I started working full time. That was fantastic. And so, you know, I have zero regrets on not doing all of that. And the, the funny part is when, before that internship, I tried to go into the the design major um, at the College uh, of Design in, at North Carolina State University. It's a four-year program, and that's because there's what they call studios, and those are effectively one per year where you do the bulk of your work work, right? And you can't double up on them. You have to take four to graduate. So by the time I tried to switch into that, I was three years into college, and I was like, I can't do another four years. First of all, I can't afford it. <laughs> yeah. Two, I don't want to be here for another four years. So there was a sub-major that had just been launched called Design Studies, where you're able to do some of the design courses, but you weren't uh, married to the idea of the studio. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the director of the program at the time, uh, or some of the folks over there, just they, they weren't jazzed about it, and I think that was because it was new. Um, but some of the the folks that I talked to there were a little discouraging, and that like, oh no, no, you couldn't become a graphic designer without going through the design program. It's impossible. There's no way anyone would hire you. Blah 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 blah. So mm-hmm. here's that that second no, right? And I was like, oh yeah watch me. <laughs> so I went through the, the, the technology design, like got my baseline of like, here's how you use Photoshop. Here's how you use Illustrator, you know, running through all those one-on-one courses. Now given it didn't get much depth, but that was because they were teaching the high level, right. Yeah. And teaching you how to teach those, which is, you, you don't want to get too much in the weeds. And then I got all my experience, my studio from the internship. Right. So my, in my head, I was like, I'm going to come out of college with a portfolio full of real work that's live on a company's site somewhere, as opposed to work I did for a teacher. And I was in my head, I was like, I, I'm willing to, to gamble on the fact that my future employers will value that more 
than coursework. For and then sure. I just doubled down on that opinion. And that's kind of how I got to where I am today. Got it. Man, I love that how, you know, being told no was really the catalyst to you being, um, you know, almost pushing yourself and challenging yourself more. Yeah. And I like to think it's, it wasn't like an anarchist, like, you know, buck the man kind yeah, of not a, like, a, like, Oh yeah. No, I know. I, yeah, I know this is important and I know this can be done and it's impossible that there's only one way to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, that's where my head was. And I was like, and you know what, if it means I have to try it and fail, just to prove to myself that I was you know, right or wrong, so be it. And then I would just lean in. Yeah, that's cool. Um, Taylor, who are some of the designers or brands that you look up to or closely follow? And what about them do you like? Ooh, that's a, that's a cool question. So, I mean, there's there's a few obvious answers, right? Big fan of Aaron Draplin, mm-hmm. everything about his his story and his work. Uh, I really like the the Hutzpah sisters, uh, mm-hmm. Hutzpah design. I, I just think they're they're so genuine, right? And they're so willing to help and answer every question you could possibly have. Um, and they're just they're great people. Uh, I really like the work of DKNG, the studio. Mm-hmm. Their illustration, like stuff on Skillshare, like opened a whole new world of understanding for me. And and it was just it was magical. Um, I've been following a lot of Brian Steely's work lately. I mean, his, his line work is just fantastic. And I've been kind of micro obsessed with monoline illustration. Mm-hmm. Uh, so following his stuff closely and I'm really digging the, the surfer kind of, um, uh, sarcastic vibe that the brand chomp has run by Joshua Riza. Yeah. Uh, I saw him speak at creative South one year and it was just, it was so genuine. And I was like, that's a cool guy. Like he's up there, like telling you how it is. Like, this isn't like a highlight reel. Like this is like things where I messed up and it was just so good. It just turned beyond his stuff. And like, I have a ton of, of, you know, stickers and, and, and hats and stuff from his brand. And I'm just a big fan of it. But I think overall that's, that's the sphere I kind of live in now. Mm-hmm. Um, what's interesting about that is like my day to day work is not at all in the brand and illustration space, but I kind of, uh, I compartmentalize a little bit where like the day job is the day job. Right. And I, I, I enjoy it. Uh, not to say I don't, but like I don't go home so much and like study and practice you, you know, UX design. Like I go home and I study and I practice branding and illustration and, and what I would call fun work, right? Um, and that's where kind of these influences and inspiration kind of comes from. Very cool. Yeah, great list of uh, of names there. Familiar with uh, a number of them. And, you know, I think the sort of central theme that I got out of the, the brands that in, um, and the people that you threw down there was that they're genuine. You know, yeah. Just sort of no BS – this is what it is, the good, the bad, the ugly. I am huge on that for better or worse. Um, <laughs> I and I it. think that it, it makes – it's hard because like it kind of makes you cut certain people or things out, right, mm-hmm. that you feel are ingenuine. Mm-hmm. And it's it's hard because I think the – the challenge is like when you meet someone or when you read their work, read their work online or you see their work uh, in person or whatever, sometimes some folks need to put on a persona to be able to like present that stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's totally fine. Like I understand that, but it's sometimes it's hard to read those folks, right. Where you're like, Oh, that, that person's a douchebag, but it, you know, they're not, they're just, they need to be in this certain mode to be able to talk about their stuff, mm-hmm. you know, and that's totally fine. But like it, it creates this like filter in your head where like, if you're looking for, genuineness you have to also understand that like that's also genuineness right that's not them putting on a show just for the sake of putting on a show like that's how they need to present things and it took me a while to realize that because i used to be very critical about you know speakers at conferences that either one would kind of get up and kind of showboat right uh, a little more than i i felt that they should and i give who's you know who's me to give that opinion but you know that or if they came up with i'm going to deliver this 
you know, XYZ points and then don't deliver on XYZ points. Right. And I immediately was like, that's ingenuine, you know, that they clearly weren't prepared. Right. And now that I've begun this like speaking thing, I'm realizing like, all right, naive, uh, judgmental Taylor, like it's not easy to get up there and do this. Right. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. stop faulting these people for maybe missing your impossible standard by like a minutia of a point mm-hmm. and just value the fact that they had the guts to stand up there and do their thing. So it's, it's always interesting. It's an ever changing opinion. Man, props to you for shouting out the honesty of that, you know, calling yourself out for that. That's really, that's really great. I am ridiculously self-aware and self-critical. <laughs> <laughs> and I think sometimes that's good, but sometimes it's like, all right, enough, move on. <laughs> yeah. Enough kicking my own ass. Right. <laughs> Just give, my, exactly. give myself exactly. a little bit of a break. Um, so Taylor, I got one more question before I dive into the tough stuff here and it's about print and I want, I'm interested to hear how you have utilized print or print design in your career or any, um, stories or experiences with print and packaging that are close to you. Yeah. So let me start with this. Uh, design is design. I don't care if you're Mm -hmm. working on a layout for a brochure or an app interface, there's things that matter on everything that is created, right? Mm-hmm. Contrast, uh, you know, ratio of, of items next to each other, layout, typography, etc. So what, what I don't like is when people draw the line in the sand, like, oh, if you are a packaging designer, you cannot do app design. Or if you are a UI designer, there's no way you can make brochures. That's mm-hmm. bullshit. And anyone who says that is lying to you. Mm-hmm. Um, so w- with that being said, there my start was in print, right? Naturally, because that's what was hot, you know, quote unquote hot at the time. And there's something nice and non-duplicatable about having a tangible thing that you've made kind of come to life in your hands Mm -hmm. that you can feel, right? You talk about packaging. If you're looking at it, when working on a screen, right, you lose some of the luster of like satin colors and the way matte looks when it's printed and the way reflective foils and stuff interact with different types of other materials like getting something letterpress printed that you created is like all of a sudden takes the work that you did and makes it a million times better like the second it's got tactile feel to it people can appreciate it more because there's a manual process in it Mm -hmm. whether it's done by a machine or not so uh, you know for me print will always have a special spot and i always enjoy working on projects like that like like labels like from like liquor bottles, like dream project, right? Amazing. All that texture that you can add on something like that with like some of these bottles, like with burnt edges and stuff. Like I, I just, I, I always have trouble imagining until like you get into the weeds of it of like, all right, I'm going to make this, you know, 500 by 500 pixel artboard, let's just say on, on illustrator, but this part's going to be burnt off and this one's going to be tactile. And this is going to be punched through like without mock-up files. Sometimes it's hard to see what those things are going to become until mm-hmm. you actually do it. Right. And getting clients to understand the vision in your head is always a challenge. But that's I think that's the beauty of print. Right. There's so much that's reliant on the way you deliver as a designer that the web doesn't always have that barrier because what is either you can do it in code or you can't. Right. And, And a designer may not be able to achieve the same animation that you could do with like JavaScript or something. But, you know, it's I I think some things are more emulatable uh, on the web uh, faster so that you can show clients and prototypes and that kind of thing than mm-hmm. with print, right? Where you have to spend X amount of dollars to make a, a die to be able to die cut this object, right? And and it just gets so complex. And I and I like the challenge of having to be able to um, uh, kind of give that that extra layer of feedback or that extra layer of explanation to the people you're working with. And it takes, I think, a certain kind of person to be able to deliver on that. Mm-hmm. 
Do you feel that, um, you know, with print being, you know, so unique and intricate, you know, yes, design is design UX website, like design is design, it's problem solving. You just need to understand the problem you're solving. Um, Mm -hmm. When it comes to print design, just with the intricacies of understanding die cutting, CMYK versus Pantones, like all of these other elements that go along with printing, is that still taught out there? Is that still well understood out there? Or is that something that, you know, is becoming harder and harder to find an expert on? Yeah, so I'm going to address that in two ways, right? So the taught one first, and then is it out there? Um, I can't speak to the taught piece from a, a traditional education perspective, right? Because I didn't, I didn't go to design school, mm-hmm. so I don't know. We were taught, or we were, we were, the option to learn some of these printing processes were available to me in college. Um, I did not take advantage of them, and that mm-hmm. was to my to my own fault. But to answer the second part of the question, it's because I was able to get that same education from professional groups. Um, there's screen printers that are in the area. There's letterpress stuff at conferences. And that's where I absorbed all of that knowledge as much mm-hmm. as I can. And then interacting with printers when I wanted to get things done for myself, stickers, business cards, whatever. Oh, I have to set it up that way? Why? And they would explain. Because mm-hmm. if they when they explain, they get better files, right? Totally. So finding a printer that's willing to kind of help walk you through that uh, – is a, is a huge advantage. And then leaning into your local communities to be able to make together um, is where I've found the most education with Very regard cool. to print process and prep and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Very cool. I love that. Yep. Sorry, just one uh, that was my, sort of piqued my curiosity. Um, sure. So Taylor, now's the tough stuff. I want to get into a couple of questions about challenging times in your design career so far. Um, and then, I'll turn it around at the end. All right. All right. Cliffhanger right there. That is the end of part one of this episode with Taylor Cashdan. You got to tune in tomorrow to check out part two, where we dive into the challenges, the lessons he's learned in his design career um, from some bomb situations, some rough ones. Um, But until tomorrow, you're just going to have to hang on. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you then. Bye.